This episode of IPv6 Buzz is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for IPv6 Buzz listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout and save 30% off all plans. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you know, head on over to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you've got something cool working with V6 or you just got an interesting project you got going on with V6, we want to hear from you. So come join us. We'll, we'll gab all about V6 and do uh, some discovery about what you got working with V6. Um, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today we're going to talk about IPv6 and how you can use that to get around IPv4 failures and uh, and how that might uh, how that might play out within your environment, maybe at home or at work or you know when you're on your mobile provider. What what exactly goes on and can you actually detect those v4 failures? Maybe is a good thing to talk about too. But let's jump in and, and chat about it. So. I guess we should set up some failure scenarios first, right? Like <laughs> talk through like what what actually are we meaning by this? Because I mean, there's probably a different bunch of use cases around what those failure scenarios actually are. Um, I don't know. What do, yeah. what do we want to start with, you guys? So the, the foundation, the setup is you've got both protocols at your disposal. You've got a client that's dual protocol. You've got some service and transport that's dual protocol capable. You have a service that's dual protocol capable. So you have both protocols end to end, and then something happens. <laughs> you know, that's and what happens is, and something happens to IPv4 connectivity. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So let's 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 tackle the first one for that's probably going to be common for most people, which is we're at home. Or, or we've got our you know internet service provider for at home. They probably have dual stacked us at this point, so we've got dual stack uh, capability at home. But let's say IPv4 blew up because their CGNAT device like <laughs> blew out of the water, or maybe their public v4 routing like got broken somehow, or something else went on. So the v4 is just not working, right? But you still got v6, and their v6 pairing seems to be working. That is that is that like a use case that we could talk through that seems to be yeah uh, I, think, I think that network, might happen to people a network engineer runs a network automation script and then messes up all the route reflectors <laughs> for, <laughs> v4. for yeah. v4 and it's a bad day or um yeah <laughs> it draws all their bgp bgp neighbor peers for v4 <laughs> oh, goodness. yeah you've got a flap of some type or it stays flapped <laughs> <laughs> We've never done that sort of stuff before, no, so I don't know never. what. <laughs> and especially not right before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at that point, I mean, I guess it depends on what's available to you, right? So you got V6, and you can probably still get to a DNS name server, right? So mm-hmm. we can probably still look up things. You're still going to get an A record and a quad A record back, so I, I doubt they're filtering based off of which protocol you're using. So you're still probably going to see both. It just means that you're... You know, and if you're V6 already and something's V6 enabled on the other side, Happy Eyeballs is going to make you use V6 anyway. Yeah. So you would have been V6 and you never would have noticed this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you might have, if your client is dual 
stack capable and using both v4 and v6 and if it has two resolvers a v4 resolver and a v6 resolver mm -hmm. address right. then it'll use whichever resolver is available the v4 resolver won't be reachable but the v6 resolver will and then the v6 resolver will check the round when it does its recursive dns lookup it keeps track of the round trip time and it won't be able to talk to any other v4 name servers but it can do v6 you know, recursive lookups because all the root name servers have V4 and V6 addresses. So right. it'll be able to do a record and quad a record lookups over V6 transport. And it'll know that V4 is unavailable. V6 round trip time is available and faster. And it will choose that to facilitate, you know, those lookups if the address isn't cached, of course. <laughs> Yeah, and then let's face it. I mean, most most folks at home will continue to have internet access to their favorite sites, so they won't even realize that V4 is down. But mm -hmm. you know, if you go I'm commiserating with thousands of my closest friends and neighbors who share the same broadband provider as me, and looking on the Cox form or the Comcast form, I, I happen to have Cox at home, and and you see, you do you do see those folks posting saying, "Hey, I realize that my V4 connectivity is not working, but my V6 connectivity is." So they're you know obviously you have to have certain certain a little bit of internet savvy and network savvy to be able to determine that that's what's happening mm -hmm. uh, but for you know for for however many users recognize that that's what's going on there are thousands of others that are just happily surfing and have no idea that their v4 <laughs> isn't working and so right. that that poor engineer who took the network down with the uh, the ill-advised update to the route reflector you know he's got the uh, he or she has the uh, the advantage now of having being able to to avoid that fate sharing between the protocols and you know everything's still working as far as the end user is concerned yeah, so, so there would be fate sharing if the application had components of it that used V4 and V6, yeah. so it required both to work. There were parts of the app that ran over V4, parts that ran over V6, and you needed both V4 and V6 to work. Now, who would who would design that. an application like that? Just all, all kinds of people. <laughs> 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 You're right. Everyone, there could be fate sharing when you yeah. tie them together in some way like that. Yeah, and then you, get, then you get that horrible partial brokenness that drives everyone up the wall, right? It's like yeah. Well, you know, someone's got to be a sadomasochist out of all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, we, I think we, we're equal opportunity. We have V4 embedded addresses in URLs. We have V6 addresses in URLs. The worst, the worst of both square worlds. Brackets. <laughs> square brackets. HTTP colon slash slash 2000 blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I think the good news is the mass majority of probably the Alexa 1000 app services, and maybe it's the Alexa 100, mm -hmm. uh, are going to be V6 enabled and, and you're never going to notice. You're going to Google, you're going to Office 365, you're doing G Suite, Gmail, YouTube, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have an experience that is working just fine over V6 without any issue. And, and like you said, probably, you know, there's going to be very small number of of users that are going to notice that something's really down in any significant way. Yeah, so. everything's going to be going along great until you do a, a GitHub commit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're at that point, you should be able to figure out whether it's V4 or V6 is broken for you. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one scenario where we see it. And that really impacts the home user, right? So in terms of like what's going on for them, they could directly tell that, that something's broken in that particular way. Maybe we talk about a different sort of brokenness, which is maybe like core internet backbone brokenness. 
uh, that makes more sense? Like maybe some routing is broken or a routing loop, or there's weird things going on from a peering basis between service providers. And, th- and that might be more difficult to detect because it looks like your local V4 is still working, right? You're able to ping your default gateway. Maybe you're able to get to your service providers name servers, right? And that all looks like it's working over V4, but getting beyond maybe your service provider doesn't work. Yeah. Right? You try and do a, a trace route over V4, a trace route over V6, and the trace route over V4 breaks somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So is is that a any different from a end user perspective? I guess it really isn't, right? I guess it looks the same and it functions the same uh, in terms of the end user experience. You're just going to get happy eyeballs to take over and say like, hey, V6 is V6 is a shizzle. Let's use that and uh, and 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 avoid that particular problem. And V4 is just going to be broken in its own way, but. I suppose if there's things that are V4 dependent, depending on whether those are maybe within the caching tier within your service provider. So maybe like Akamai or Cloudflare has caching services that are local to your service provider for those V4 only resources. You might be able to get to portions of those, but things that aren't cached that way, that maybe are beyond that, that you would actually have to route outbound for, those are broken. So you get like a weird partial V4 brokenness. Yeah. And then you're like, hmm, I wonder if any of my friends are having the same problem. I'm going to go to Twitter and see, oh, oh, I can't go to Twitter because it's a fee-for-only site. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point being is, you, is, is it's going to be more nuanced in terms of the brokenness that you're going to see in that particular use case. And, and you might need to be a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah, it could be a BGP issue that's for a prefix that's not using RPKI. <laughs> right. Uh, it gets advertised out of a different ASN by some foreign government. Yeah, BGP like that. That was, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, hijacking for, for mm-hmm. BGP routes. So and I think that's much more likely to happen in V4 maybe than V6. I don't know. That's pure speculation on my part of of, of, of stating that. So don't take that don't take that for more uh, than that. There is has been papers and research papers talk about instability of IPv6 peers. Right. Well and that could be due to new turn new turnups of ipv6 peers there's instability because it's new and being deployed and there's maybe clearing of bgp peering sessions over v6 where yeah. v4 people know to not clear right. clear clear ipb bgp <laughs> <clear> IP <laughs> star soft, soft don't reset do yeah don't do that uh, uh, but maybe they you know but anyway there's evidence of v6 bgp peer instability equally. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about one other one that I think is would be maybe maybe common, more common maybe in like um, uh, shared common pools for things like wireless and things like that is, is maybe V4 exhaustion, like a DHCP pool exhaustion that might happen where you just can't get a V4 address because mm-hmm. guess what? There's none available. They're all taken up. We don't, we have nothing to give you anymore. And so uh, it's just nothing. Nothing's available to actually hand out. So you don't get a V4 address. So you get to go the, you get to go live in the wonderful land of a, a, a Pippa, right? And self-assign a V4 address that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, you get an address. It's a one six nine two five four address. Right. Exactly. <laughs> just not that useful. Right. Exactly. Um, and so I think that would be the the use case. Obviously, um, your host operating system knows that's not a useful address to go anywhere, and you mm-hmm. don't have a default gateway on the V4 side. So. Nothing's going to go out of V4. So if you have working V6, V6 is going to work just fine for you. And you're going to do all the things that we mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be off to the races with V6. And I guess technically, funny enough, technically, if you were running an IPv4 
six only network, this is exactly what it would look like. You would effectively mm-hmm. have no DHCP pool available. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to request an address. So unless you manually set one up, you wouldn't get an address except for an IPIPA address. And you would look like an IPv6 only network. Does that seem fair? Unless we actually go through the process of turning off IPv4 in a more distinct way in the stack. Right. Well, and then, but we can't do that, right? I mean, we can, we can, we can do it in Linux and Mac, but it's not even doable in Windows anymore. Can't turn it off. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's yeah. accurate. Or you're doing the IPv6 only preferred option for DHCPv4 RFC 8925. Which I still am baffled in trying to figure out exactly <laughs> how that works. But <laughs> yeah where basically you send out a DHCP message that basically tells everyone this is a V6 only network, but you did it on V4. It's just ripe for a DOS attack. (laughs) (laughs) Tell everyone your V4 is off today. (laughs) Should have switched to IPv6. (laughs) (laughs) Told you. (laughs) Too funny. So I guess that's a question, Ed. In this failure scenario, then anyone who had a lease prior to the pool exhaustion would still have their V4 address. Exactly. So yeah. they would still be- As it's, it's half the lease time and they haven't right. gone so through they, the renewal process. So they're running along with V4 just fine. And so they're going to use happy eyeballs to figure everything out. But those that are on V6 only are going to do V6 only because it's the only protocol available to them. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have- So this is the thing for the help desk team is they're going to get have use, end users that have two different experiences. Some of them are going to have dual stack and some are going to be V6 only. Mm-hmm. And can you tell the difference? And can you operationally understand what's going on? And can you troubleshoot that? Yeah. So I think that's a I think that's a challenge for those teams, right? Like how do we yeah. tell the difference? Yeah, the help desk is going to say, well, do people next to you have the same problem? No, they're working fine. Right. Like, oh, reboot and call me back. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you turned it off and turned it back on again? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that's a real world use case scenario that might that might bite people in terms of uh, trying to figure this out. Like, you know, that V4 failure of like, oh, you know, just don't have any more addresses available uh, or you get, or they're trickling out at a very slow pace and, and not keeping up with the rate of, uh, of need within that particular land segment uh, could be a problem. Yeah, it could also be like a split scope issue and one of your DHCP oh, yeah. servers yeah, failed, point. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I interrupt the podcast today for a quick word from our sponsor, IT Pro TV. Do you remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline from last year? That is an example of how cybersecurity professionals are in demand. There are more than 500,000 open cybersecurity roles, and you can become a cybersecurity professional with some online training. It's never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder, and IT Pro TV, today's sponsor, has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft, IT Pro TV is offering more than 5,800 hours of on-demand training, and they, they teach it with engaging hosts. They present information in a talk show format, so it's not boring. They're live every day if you like live content. And the shows that they record each day, those go studio to web in 24 hours. The courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. And you can stream IT Pro TV's courses live or on demand worldwide via really any platform you want Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and get a great job with IT Pro TV. 
Visit itpro.tv slash buzz for 30% off all plans and use promo code buzz at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now back to the podcast. All right. What's, so what's the last one that we, 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 we set, we set ourselves up here for, for V4 sort of failure uh, service. What was it? Um, clouds. Clouds. There we go. <laughs> clouds. Let's, let's talk, let's talk through that. And let's, let's talk through what cloud service providers are. Is, is it just cloud or are we talking like SaaS service providers too? Is it the whole, the whole enchilada? Anyone, I guess, cloud, IaaS. PaaS, SaaS, doesn't matter, anything that's hosted in sort of that public domain space, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the interwebs, you know, and this is on the server side. So right. something happens maybe with a CICD pipeline, something blows up, the app is not working on v4, but is reachable over IPv6. So something happened closer to the server side or, or something in the cloud, maybe it's the CDN, maybe it's the cloud load balancer, maybe it's the web application firewall, maybe it's something like that, or it's something in the cloud domain. And you can probably go to the cloud service providers site that says, you know, what services are up or down or what outages they may be experiencing. But usually those reports don't differentiate B4 or B6. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that because like, you know, you, you can definitely check the status indicators, but I don't know that I've ever seen it broken out by protocol. And, mm-hmm. you know, is that a thing where we should... Should we expect that from the cloud providers to give us that that you know that visibility into which protocol has failed? I mean, I would personally want it. I mean, I suppose a lot of users don't don't really care. Um, but there's that sort of black box behavior of you know cloud networks in general, and that's maybe another thing to lump into that category of like, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna tell you this is this is down. This is partially working, but we're not gonna say V four is down and V six is still working. Yeah, it just say, oh, you're bucket here you know your s3 bucket is is degraded in this region or something yeah, exactly but what's interesting is there are some tools that do distinguish between this i think uh thousand eyes from the cisco side i think actually will tell you the difference between v4 and v6 failures mm-hmm. to endpoint services so you could use a tool like that for your, at least your own discovery yeah that's right if you're leveraging it to be able to see or have visibility to that all right well i mean we talked, we talked through the sort of the fa- failure scenario side, I guess, of, of through that. But I mean, does, how does V6, you know, sort of address the issues and, and, and deal with the V4 connectivity failure side? Like, is, is there dependencies between these things? Is there other weird use cases that come up? Are there combinations that we should be thinking about a little differently? Like, what, what should we, the next sort of nuance beyond just a, a, an outright IPv4 failure. What's 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 the application dependencies that might happen here? Yeah, you get some reliability benefit from using both v4 and v6. And if they're both available and they're side by side, then you could connect over v4 or over IPv6 and have you know a successful connection. Uh, and that's the happy eyeballs method where it's dual protocol end-to-end, both are functional. And let's say both V4 and V6 work 95% of the time, your, your actual percentage chance of success when it's an IPv4 or IPv6, either one would work, and both are 95% effective, 
available. And then your chances of success are actually like 99.75% of chance of success. But if you had a situation like we talked about where the app is needs V4 and V6 to work because it's got those V4 and V6 embedded literals or something that's been written in a way where there's fate sharing, as Tom just said, and they're both you know 95% available, but but if one fails, then it takes the whole application down. Then actually, in that situation, it's an you need V4 and V6 to be up and functional to have a successful connection. Then actually, in that situation, your overall chances of success are ninety point twenty five percent. Right, it's less. It's much less because you have that fate sharing. Right, because you need both protocols in order to function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and then when the V4 fails, you're definitely going to experience an outage. Or when V6 fails, you'll experience an outage in that second case. So that's the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Roll out V6. We encourage people to roll out V6, but not in a way that it's tied to V4 in some strange way. Right. Which Because otherwise you, you, you have a dependency mapping between the two and, and you, you pretty much guarantee that you have to have both operating flawlessly in order for your service to work. Yeah. Or which people, is not optimal. Like, oh, Ed and Tom and Scott told me to V6 enable my web tier. So I did. But oh, then I didn't realize that I left my app tier and my search and my, you know, my shopping cart and a bunch of other parts of my <laughs> app still use IPv4. And uh, well, the yeah, web page loads, but all the other functionality of the page doesn't because all that ran on IPv4. To say nothing of the uh, the the chaotic evil application developers out there that are, <laughs> are are developing IPv4 and IPv6 dependencies on purpose to uh, make the app fail in the most miserable way possible. By design. Yeah, exactly. By design. It's called job security. <laughs> For those folks, they, only they know how it works. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, is there other use cases that, that, that might happen that we we should we should mention i mean are there other things from a sort of a, a bigger picture that uh, you know might go on that that uh, could potentially impact how how folks tackle this and and, and see the problem space of, of v4 v4 failure or v4 outage i, I mean I, if nothing else i mean it's the it's our, it's our our same old boring message about adopting ipv6 right get it turned on you know if you you if you just sort of appeared as a naive observer of, of services that were available and you didn't know the difference between IPv4 and IPv6, as Scott mentioned, you know, the, the additional uh, reliability that you get from having both protocols on, I think far outweighs any of the, the sort of corner case or, uh, you know, really subtle failures that might happen that, that are probably still pretty rare at this point. You know, although we don't have a ton of data on it um, because these outages are happening all the time and not really super observable as events. But but yeah, it's just turn it on. It's like additional redundancy that's available essentially for free if, if your provider's offering it. And chances are they, you know, they've turned it on for you and you don't have to think about it. But, you know, if they haven't, it's definitely something to ask for. Yeah, I guess there's there's robustness anytime protocols could be negotiated or where there's a negotiation between clients and servers that have a variety of choices. Oh, we have choices of different, you know, in TLS, we have different choices of 
algorithms that get negotiated. Hey, I can talk these. Hey, I can talk these. We select one and then we're off to the races. And we have a greater chance of success when there's this mutual you know, negotiation of different types or, oh, I tried quick and that didn't work. So I fell back to just HTTP2, you know, or anytime where there's a choice and we, and systems are trying multiple things to facilitate good end user experience. That's the choice. You know, that's what we should be designing for is options, not having only one option. And when we, you've built your app to only run over IPv4, there's only one option for clients to reach your web app, which is over IPv4, which might be the slower of the two protocols. We've talked about this before. If you dual protocol enable your website, you're giving others the option to choose to connect to you, maybe over another protocol that might be faster from their perspective. So you, by choosing only one protocol, you're limiting your options. So more options is is better. Is 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 what is what our motto comes down to. Since there's really only two, you can do IPv4 or you can do IPv6 or you can just do both. And during this duration of transition, what we're saying is there's actually some structural advantage to running both that might help you in terms of mitigating and, and working around IPv4 failures. When we all get to IPv6 only, then we're in the same outage related windows. So when we mess up our IPv6, everyone goes down. So, but that's no different than what you're dealing with today, right? You do, you down all your IPv4, you're still down. <laughs> yeah, it's a mono protocol. Mono protocol. <laughs> <laughs> Not dual protocol. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, the eventual goal is to get to V6 only, which I guess, you know, exposure wise, we're making a reverse argument that, uh, you know, but uh, I think it's I think it's okay. Everyone sort of understands what, how that how that works. Um, yeah, I, I don't know any other final thoughts on it, you guys. I mean, it's I I think it's sort of it's sort of cool that you know this sort of works in some ways just automatically based off of what Happy Eyeball provides in, in many mm -hmm. of the OSs. So this is sort of transparent to you in many ways. But if for those that listen to this show, you definitely want to have the sophistication of understanding what could really be going on there and being able to help us. You know you know, help people out to figure out which one is actually going on here. Your help desk team needs to understand what's going on and understand the, the nuances of what's actually happening within the network. Yeah. Cause it can be, you often have to test things twice. I have to right. test V4 DNS. I have to test, do I have a V4 V6 address? I got to ping over V4 and ping over V6. I got to do a trace route over V4, a trace route over IVs. You do lots of stuff twice, which can, you know, when you're troubleshooting these types of dual protocol problems, it can lengthen your mean time to repair. If you right. aren't using tools that can help you just test both immediately and give you the answer and help you figure it out right away. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a wrap, you guys. Unlike V6, we run out of space for this podcast. So you can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz and you can hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at E. Hoyling. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.